Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy, howdy, friends, and welcome to Grass Talk Radio. Today, I'm going to talk about the lifeblood of bluegrass music, and that is jamming. Jam sessions, picking with your friends, picking with strangers, jamming. It is the heartbeat of bluegrass. Now, you might think that bluegrass are the big stars, the shows, the Grand Ole Opry, and, you know, all your favorite bands and all that sort of stuff. And an outsider would think that. But an insider knows that a whole lot more bluegrass happens than just what happens on stage or on record. So I want to talk about the importance of bluegrass jamming. Because frankly, without it, there is no bluegrass. Because bluegrass is more than just the stars that play it. It is also made up of the fans who enjoy it and perhaps don't play. And then it, it is made up by many, many, many people who enjoy it and also do play. And that's basically my audience. That's the way I've always pictured the audience for this podcast. Those who play bluegrass or want to play bluegrass. And that could include anybody from, you know, you just bought yourself a $99 Amazon mandolin all the way to Ricky Skaggs. You know, maybe he listens. I don't know. He's probably not listening, but if, you know, might be. So I try to cover the whole gamut. But in terms of numbers, there are lots more, a lot more of us than there are of them. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, fans and pickers compared to the big, big fish. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not taking anything away from the big fish. Every bluegrass picker at one time or another had, has wished they could be a big fish and would like to participate in that big fish world. But most of us won't, might, might you know, tiptoe into it or for brief periods of time or whatever. But the majority of bluegrass fans and pickers, as I like to call them, never achieve anything like that. They may achieve it on a kind of a local, you know, maybe just in their town or their county or their state or their region or for a period of time. I know quite a few people who have gone pretty far up the bluegrass ladder for only a couple of years or less where, you know, and then they went back to, you know, making a living and that sort of thing. But anyway, so today that's my topic. I want to talk about jam sessions and why they are so vitally important. And I was thinking about, um, well, before, I'll tell you what, before I get into the topic, let me shift gears here to the subject of the listener emails. Go back to bonus episode nine, and I said, hey, send me an email. Tell me about yourself. Tell the other listeners about yourself. You know, where are you? What do you play? How long you been playing? Anything you feel like telling the other listeners. And read some of those on the air. You know, this is probably, I don't know, what, like last January or thereabouts? 
that I threw that out there, started reading them, had Jackson record some of them, and some of, some people recorded themselves doing it. And that's what I really encourage, that if you'd like to do it, I really, really like it when I get to hear you in your own voice. So did that and have been reading some of those along the way, and I, I hope it's been interesting to uh, mostly to let you know that there are other people out there just exactly like you in the same boat. And you might find out that there, you know, maybe you live in Charleston and you hear this guy say, I live in Charleston and you didn't know the guy and now maybe you'll seek him out or him or her. Um, anyway, and then I mentioned the great calamity where I got all mixed up and disorganized and I couldn't determine which ones I had read on the show and which ones I hadn't. Well, yesterday... I spent about four hours of a perfectly good day wading through every episode because it's impossible for me to remember everything I've said. You try it. Uh, you know, turn on a, record it, a recorder and talk for, I don't know, 160 episodes and then try to remember what you said. <laughs> it gets difficult, let me tell you. And... You know, when I had five episodes, I could have, you know, on a Saturday gone back and listened to all five. But it is basically impossible now for me to recall everything. But I needed to determine this because there were, I had two stacks. Printed out all these emails. I had the ones I've read and the ones that I have yet to read. And I got them all mixed up. And I talked about that. And I couldn't tell which ones. Some of them I remembered for sure. And some of them I didn't. Anyway, yesterday, I put in the time, I reorganized, made a little checklist by episode, and wrote down everybody. I got it all sorted out. And in doing so, in looking through the emails, I realized that one of the emails that I received had an attached audio file, which is what I am really encourage everybody to do. So, I'm back on track with uh, the listener emails Again, listen to bonus episode nine, and I encourage you to do likewise. Anyway, I got a lot of these all organized and ready to go for the upcoming episodes. Got quite a few of them, actually. I don't know. There's probably a dozen or so. Anyway, just going to do one today, and this was from a guy. This guy, when you hear him, you'll think, man, this guy ought to start his own podcast. He sounds a lot better than Brad does. Anyway, uh, Drew, you might want to consider that. You have a great um, radio voice. <laughs> you sound really good. Anyway, let's all uh, meet Drew, a fellow listener. Take it away, Drew. Howdy, Brad. Let me introduce myself. My name is Drew Trump, and I'm from southeast Pennsylvania. And no, I'm not related to the President of the United States, in case you wondered. Before I get too far, I want to apologize for being one of the millions of fans who lurk anonymously, absorbing your wisdom with barely a click or like to let you know we're out here and we care. My banjo story started over 30 years ago and didn't last very long. Fast forward to summer 2019, and after assessing how to occupy my coming retirement years, I found a desire to release my repressed bluegrass tendencies and acknowledge that these are my people. The magic of the internet provided me with a yard sale banjo and abundance of learning resources, which eventually led me to you. To get my hobby rolling, I purchased your complete banjo learning system and began self-teaching to test the banjo waters again. 
along with your instructional materials, I also found your podcasts, and I spent the first few months of my journey binge listening during my commute back and forth to work each day. Happy to report that I'm all caught up on episodes and now eagerly await each week for the next one to appear on my phone and looking forward to episode 500. I want to thank you for the terrific work you're doing. I really enjoy the folksy style and your stories make me chuckle. The motivational discussions have been particularly helpful as I start out and made me realize that I'm the only one who gets to decide how far my hobby can take me. I've now begun lessons with an instructor and your podcast is an important supplement to what I'm learning. Very much appreciate that you discuss things I would never encounter in a lesson. And as an impatient newbie, I'm always happy to have information on how to accelerate the learning process in case you're looking for new ideas. Please say hello to your wife, your son Jackson, and Carl the Rooster. If I'm ever in America, I plan on stopping in Pat's place to check out your jam session. And if you're ever in Philly to visit, please drop me a note. It'd be a pleasure to meet you in person. Thanks again, Drew. Thanks a bunch, Drew. I really appreciate you sending that in, and I'm sorry for the long delay in getting it on the air. And uh, same goes for everybody else that I'm going to read in the future. I'm certainly backlogged because of my uh, mix-up fiasco in uh, record-keeping. Anyway, I've got all that straightened out and have got uh, future emails all lined up and ready to go. So enough about that, and thanks, Drew. Um, Let's talk about this thing about jamming. And I was thinking of, a, of an analogy, and I actually thought of a couple of them, but this one came to mind to give you some, something to compare bluegrass to. And I want you to think about professional golf. You know, everybody's seen a golf tournament on TV, or maybe you've gone to the Masters. That was a, you know, a thing here in, in Georgia for people to, oh, yeah, I got tickets to the Masters, you know, and you'd go over there and watch them play a round of golf. Um, my dad, uh, you know, worked for the newspapers, um, and occasionally he would get tickets. And I think he might have even been, I don't know what they call him, uh, the you know, a volunteer, you know, he'd get a press pass and maybe, um, you know, wear a green jacket and, you know, stand on one side of the rope and keep people quiet. And you know, I don't know what they did, but uh, he would go once in a while to the Masters. He was not a golfer, really, but it was a cool thing. And of course, it would be on television on the wide world of sports or whatever. But I just want you to picture professional golfers and golf tournaments and, you know, the whole thing, you know, Arnold Palmer and, uh, you know, name your golfer, all the pros. But then on the other hand, I want you to think about all the people watching those golf tournaments, following the sport of golf, and most importantly, playing golf. So, you know, the Masters may be taking place in, in Augusta, Georgia, and all across the country, and in fact, all across the world, at the very same time, there are just people all over the place playing golf. And, you know, the weekend after the Masters or on Tuesday afternoon down at, uh, you know, some local golf course, people are playing golf. This is exactly like bluegrass. You know, you got the Grand Ole Opry, you got your Bill Monroe and your Del McCurry, and, you know, you got all your, your big-time stars, and they're on the Internet, and they're on television, and you buy their records, and you go to their shows, and 
that's all wonderful. I'm not taking anything away from that, but I'm saying also, in addition to all that, you've got jam sessions, picking parties, parking lot picking, and it just goes on and on and on. And there's a lot more of that going on than there is the professional shows. Well, let me put a little asterisk there. When I say going on, I mean in normal times. I'm not talking about this cockamamie new normal. I'm talking about in normal times. And so I am encouraging you to go to a jam, start a jam. And I won't talk some about, you know, why jamming is, is so important. Bluegrass is a participatory sport, just like bass fishing. You can play the bass fishing video game. This is completely absurd. You can watch bass fishing on TV. You can watch a fishing show. You can watch a bass tournament. You could go to a bass tournament. Or you could, as I recommend, go bass fishing. You know, just get Jackson up one morning, say, son, let's throw all the junk in in the back of the car. And let's go fishing. It's participatory sport or activity. So is bluegrass. And what's happened here in the last, I don't know, let's, let's just for round figures, say six, seven months, is that most of it stopped, just stopped. The festival stopped. Most of the shows, the bands are all sitting around twiddling their thumbs, wondering how they're going to pay their bills. Bands breaking up. Bands just sitting there stewing. Same thing is happening on the fan side. You know, no fans. Well, very few. There are a few things starting to happen again. And there have been a few things going on all along. But the jamming world has dried up, too. Or if it does happen, you know, it's certainly not being attended at the levels that it would have. I've, uh, you know, had a few little picking sessions here at the barn. Just, you know, some friends and stuff. And I've talked about those. Pretty, pretty good response. Well, let's, let's just say we've had a good time. And uh, nobody's been harmed in any way by it. And it's all just perfectly optional. And, you know, you know what I'm saying. Not doing anything stupid here. But, you know, of the local gang of pickers, there are four or five people that haven't come to one of them. You know, they just throw, offer up their apologies and they just don't come. Now, a year ago, that would not have been true. A year ago all of those people would have come. So what I'm saying is, while there's, there's a slowdown and a shutdown and a lockdown and all this stuff, there's still a little bit of it going on. And, uh, you know, just my personal opinion is that uh, we need to do more of that. Because if we don't keep this going, we're not going to have it. There isn't going to be any bluegrass music. And I'm just going to flat out just give you my opinion now. And you're free to have your own opinions. You know what they say about opinions. Everybody's got one. Yeah. 
Well, I got I got opinions. I don't want to jam with somebody over Zoom. I'm not interested in that at all. I'm not doing it. And I don't even care if it's wonderful, if it works flawlessly. I'm just not into that. Sorry. You know, I'll jam in the barn. <laughs> That's it. That's just the way I am. Sorry. Old school. And anybody that's into bluegrass, you got to have a little streak of that old school nature inside you because bluegrass is kind of an old school thing. You know, now it is. Anyway, let's talk about uh, jam sessions. I want to talk about, uh, you know, more specifically, if you ever thinking about starting your own jam session, I thought I would talk to you today about the various organized jam sessions. I'm not talking about, you know, jamming at a festival where somebody says, hey, hey, let's go down there to Larry's, you know, Larry's camper, you know, and, and pick a while. I'm not talking about those spontaneous jam sessions. I'm not even talking about, hey, you know, it's Darlene's 40th birthday party. We're going to have a little thing. Bring your instruments. I'm not talking about those one-off jam sessions. I'm talking about the regularly scheduled, organized jam sessions, which a lot of people, that's where they get their first taste of jamming. They see a little flyer. They, they, they hear from somebody that, oh, did you know that the uh, Southeastern Bluegrass Association, you know, has a jam, uh, you know, third Sunday of the month or whatever. A lot of people tiptoe their way into bluegrass through these organized jams. And I've been to countless jam sessions. I mean, let's forget all those spontaneous jam sessions. You know, the ones that happen at, at festivals or at birthday parties or picking. Just somebody's, hey, let's have a picking, you know. Let's set all those aside. But, man, I, I don't even know how many jam sessions I've been to at, at Buddy Ashmore's cabin, at Bud and Judy Candler's house in Atlanta. Uh Sometimes these things would be organized annual events like the uh, Fifth Street Bluegrass Festival. Any of you Atlanta pickers, uh, I'm surely remember Jeff Baker's Fifth Street Bluegrass Festival. Just a big mass jam on a front porch of a house on Fifth Street in Atlanta. Went to many of those. Um, stuff like going to Larry Bishop's, you know, Trout Week. Um, I used to have one that was just an annual event. I had it every Cinco de Mayo. Just It was just an excuse. You know, we called it the Cinco de Mayo Picking Party. Did that for many years. And I would just invite everybody I knew. And we've had 80, 85 people at Cinco de Mayo. And, of course, drink a bunch of Corona and pick till 3, 4 in the morning. And then there have been those um, venues that would have, you know, a regular weekly thing, like the Red Light Cafe. Um, theirs was always Thursday night. You know, they would have a jam, and then a bluegrass band would play. The Freight Room, this goes back even before the days of, of uh, the Red Light, used to do the same thing at the Freight Room and other places. I mean, a lot of times, you know, a bar, a tavern, a pizza place, a barbecue joint would have some sort of, some kind of organized bluegrass thing. And that's what I'm going to talk about today are the ones, those type of jams that 
they don't just happen on their own. Somebody has to think, hey, that would be a good idea. What if I put that together? How will we do it? How will we organize it? What night will we have it? How do we get the word out? All those sort of things. Now, as a as an outsider to that process, you just hear about it. You hear, oh, well, you know, they have a jam at the, uh, you know, at the whatever, at 7 o'clock on the second Tuesday or whatever, and you hear about it and you go. But there's always somebody behind it, somebody who thunk it up, somebody who's putting in a little bit of work to make it happen, somebody who got the word out so that you even heard about it. Well, despite all of these jams, and I'm not even talking about the picking parties over at Ed Davis's house and Mike Estes and Gary Sowles and uh, SEBA meetings and uh, going over and jamming at Leonard's house, Leonard of Woe Nelly, and it, it just it goes on and on and on and on. And I think that's why I am going through withdrawal symptoms. I mean, to just, it's like, it's like a drug addict and all of a sudden, you know, he can't get his heroin or something. Bluegrass music, to me, is like that. And to go cold turkey, I just can't do it. I can't deal with it. I must pick, you know. So, you know, I've had my little jams and I've, I've been doing, you know, substitutes for jams. It's kind of like the, what is that they, they put the heroin addicts on? A methadone. You know, they, we'll just give you this other drug. And for me, that has been, well, one of the things that, that keeps me going in, you know, lacking all of the real bluegrass is doing this podcast because at least I can talk about it. And, you know, that helps. Um, haven't been to a, think about this. In 2020, Brad Laird has not been to a bluegrass festival. That's insane. I, I, it's starting to get to me, folks. Gigs. I'm in a band. I'm in a band right now. The Plucktones. The Plucktones had a pretty good schedule lined up for 2020. The Plucktones played one gig in 2020. So that's it. So one gig, no festivals and a handful of little jam sessions over here at my barn. That's it. And that is about, I don't know, 5 to 10% of what I would have done or what I did do in 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016, all the way back to 1978, 77. So I'm in withdrawal. I know I'm getting off topic here, but let's, uh, let me just go to the point and that is to tell you a little bit about the various organized jam sessions so that if you're thinking of organizing a little jam, and by that I mean something that's on some kind of a regular schedule at a place, you know, a fixed location, rather than, hey, let's, let's have a little picking out of my barn. I'm not going to talk about how you do that. That's simple. You just call up somebody else that picks and say, hey, you want to pick? And it starts from there, and you just have a little pick and say, you know, when can you do it? How about this Saturday? Fine. Okay. What do you th we think about calling old Cecil? You know, that kind of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I want to talk to you about what I have learned. I, you know, I made some mistakes in, in starting up jam sessions because I observed other jams, and I thought, well, I don't like the way they did that. But they, you know, 
I think I have a better idea or a better location or a better method. Or, and some of them, frankly, failed and some of them succeeded pretty well. Uh, so let, let's talk about, I'm going to tell you about five organized jam sessions that I set up and, you know, how they came to be and uh, why I did it and what I hoped to get out of it and what I hoped the people who came hope, you know, would get out of it and that the venue might, what, how they might gain from it and so on. And some of them went very well and, and lasted a pretty good long while and some of them didn't. So the first one that I started, and I'm, I just would have to think this is probably, oh, what year? Mm, 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 mm. Maybe 1996, maybe. So, you know, I've been in bluegrass for 30 years already before I, you know, decided, hey, maybe I'll organize a jam session. I mean, a regular jam session. The first one I did, that's probably about 96. I was working in Fayetteville, Georgia. Day job. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't Fayetteville. I passed through Fayetteville. I was working in Union City, Georgia. Uh, and... Every day I'd get off work and I would drive through Fayetteville, through Sonoya, down to Griffin, where I lived. So I lived in Griffin, Georgia. I was commuting back and forth in my Volkswagen bus. Well, there was a guy at work, a guy named Ed Mayfield. He was the maintenance guy out in the plant. I worked up in the front and, you know, had a desk job. I was uh, did estimating and time studies and things like this. I won't tell you all about that job. But I knew Ed, and Ed lived in Sonoya, Georgia. And his girlfriend slash wife um, ran a tavern right there at the county line as you left Fayette County, Georgia. And... It was appropriately called the County Line Tavern. It was that classic beer joint. Gravel parking lot, couple of pool tables in the back, six-stool bar, couple of pinball machines. That's it. That was it, the County Line Tavern. Well, I would pass by the County Line Tavern on my way home every day. And I got to thinking, I ought to ask Ed, maybe... Uh, find out what their slowest night of the week is. I wanted it to be a weeknight because I'm passing by there anyway. And what if we had a little bluegrass jam session there? So I think we chose, they said yes, that was a great idea. I, I want to say Monday night, might have been a Tuesday. I don't remember which it was. Been too long now. So I announced to the bluegrass community that we're going to have a Monday night jam session at the County Line Tavern. Bring your instruments. And it started. And, you know, the first thing I did was call the guys in the bands that I was playing in. Or in the band. I was only in Cedar Hill at that time. Called them. Called a few of the other people, you know, the 50 or so other bluegrass pickers I knew. Just called them. And uh, had the first one. I think we had four or five people show up for that one. Um, Buddy Ashmore came. This is before the reformation of Pony Express. Um... And we just picked. It was, it was nothing. You know, if you wanted to get a beer, you know, eat some um, pickled eggs or something. You know, typical Georgia bar 
fair. Yeah, I think they had a little pizza machine on the counter that they would put these uh, little frozen pizzas in. It was like, you know, like a little toaster oven. That was it. That, peanuts and beer, that was, that was it at the County Line Tavern. Well, this thing went on for months, and different people would show up at different times. You know, it was, we had a great old time there. Eventually, the thing dried up. People just kind of stopped coming for whatever reason. I don't know. It just kind of got to be fewer and fewer people. You know, sometimes we'd have 10 and sometimes we'd have three. It just, and we just stopped it. And that was the end of it. So that was the first one. I never really figured out exactly why it went the way it did, but it was fun while it lasted. And you know, I remember uh, Ricky Ponder. Uh, some of you around the Atlanta area, North Georgia area, may remember Ricky Ponder. Uh, he used to come down there. He was living pretty close to there, and his son would come down there. His son played electric bass really good, and Ricky was a good singer. He'd come, and uh, <laughs> Buddy Ashmore would come to it, Fred MacIsaac. Um, I met Randy Godwin. Uh, the, the, when the show starts and you hear that theme song, that's the song written by Randy Godwin and sung by Ricky uh, Randy Godwin. He was a bass player in Pony Express, but I met him at this County Line Tavern jam session. He came down there one time. I guess he heard from Buddy, and I didn't know him. I didn't know him. He came down there, had a guitar, and started singing. I thought, man, you got a you got a good bluegrass tenor voice that works real good with buddies. And out of that jam session sprang the third version of the band Pony Express. So sometimes, you know, you don't know what'll come out of these things. You may meet somebody and then form, you know, a multi-decade friendship with, you know. I, I count Randy Godwin as one of my best friends and musical picking buddies, you know. We're 100 miles apart now, but, and I don't see him very often, but I hear him every week on the, uh, you know, as the intro comes in for this show and think a lot about him. And that's where I met him. So sometimes, you know, good things come out of what you might have classified as a failure in terms of, you know, an ongoing jam session that's been going on for 15 years. That didn't happen, but other things did. So that's the County Line Tavern story. I think they've bulldozed the place. Now, I, I haven't been by there in years. I'm way out of that. Uh, it's not my old stopping grounds anymore. Then I tried it again. I did it at a place called Especially For You. Worst name ever chosen for an establishment. It was a little restaurant slash flower shop slash cake decorating caterer. I don't know what this guy was really doing there. Uh, it was a good dude, a guy named Bob Ellis. And uh, through some people that I knew, you know, we asked him, hey, could we come over here and jam? And we started a Wednesday night jam session and did it sort of in the model that what the Red Light Cafe was doing. Because, you know, when you're into bluegrass, one jam session per week is simply not enough. Not for me and not for a lot of people. So the Red Light kind of had captured the Thursday jam in the Atlanta area. So if you're going to start a jam, you wouldn't do it on Thursday because, you know, everybody goes to the red light on Thursday. So I think we did, I want to say Wednesdays. Might have been Monday or Tuesday. I don't remember. Um, 
And by the way, while I'm talking about what day of the week, we rarely, rarely ever did them on Friday or Saturday or Sunday. And the reason being, I, I wasn't going to start up a jam on a day of the week that I might potentially have a paying gig. And I knew that the bands around the area were mostly playing paying gigs on Fridays, Saturdays, and sometimes Sundays. So you didn't, and, and there was the church uh, conflicts for Sunday, but we did a lot of Sunday afternoon gigs, lots of Saturday gigs, and lots of Friday night gigs. So that's just a not a good night for for a regular jam session. That's just my advice. And And you will find that Jams that are held on Saturday afternoons and Sundays in a park and stuff like that are usually not well attended by people who are in regularly performing local bands because a lot of times they're busy. They're playing. I'm talking normal times, of course. And sometimes, too, it's just too much in one weekend. A lot of times, you know, the weekend is the time when Maybe, you know, like a typical weekend for me, I might have a gig on, on Friday night, and then I got yard work and stuff and family stuff I got to do on Saturday and Sunday. You know, it's just like hard to cram so much into the weekend. There's a lot of conflicts. But when you see a jam session, it's like, oh, Sunday at 3 o'clock. You can bet the guy that was out playing till 3 in the morning the night before is probably not going to come. So you tend to get more of the hobbyist pickers when when they're held on the weekend but you hold them you know on a i like tuesdays and wednesdays because they're a couple of days away from any potential gig so you've you've gotten over the past weekend and by tuesday you're kind of ready to pick again and you know you got a gig coming up on friday so you know it's hard to get that kitchen pass and get out of the house to go jam on thursday when you have on your calendar a gig on Friday and Saturday. You know, it's like three nights in a row and you get, you know, you get looked at funny around the house if you're trying that. But if you, you could probably pull it off on a Tuesday. Anyway, especially for you, we set it up um, as a sort of duplicate of what the Red, Red Light Cafe was doing. And that is, I would book a band. I would find a band willing to perform. And then we would have two hours of jamming two hours of the band playing. Same basic process that the Red Light Cafe did and that the Freight Room did and many, many places do, is you, you have a show. It's a band going to perform. But before that, we have two hours of jamming. And that worked pretty well. Uh, the problem was it was it was a small place, uh, pretty light turnout, I think. I can't remember if we did a cover charge trying to come up with some money for the band, you know, or whether it was just tips. I don't recall now. Anyway, the problem with that place was I would get bands agree to do it and they would do it once because they're coming down there hoping they can make 300 bucks or something and they go away with 40, <laughs> 35 bucks, you know, split five ways or something. And so a lot of people would do it once, but they wouldn't do it again. And uh, so it failed ultimately after, I don't know, six months. And we just rolled it up and chalked it up to experience. Just It just never pulled in enough people to make it 
worthwhile. Now, maybe if we had just operated it as just a jam session, maybe it might still be going on. I don't know. Then I tried a different approach. This was a couple years later. I did one at a place called The Five Spot in Little Five Points in Atlanta. And at The Five Spot, rather than having a different band every week, and we were doing this on, on Sunday night, so starting about uh, 5 o'clock on Sunday, that was the only night of the week that they, you know, were, that the place was willing to do it. So what we did this time was have a regular, what you might call a house band. So uh, the band uh, that we used were, was the incorrigible string band, which I was playing bass in at the time. So I kind of had that ulterior motive, too, is that I would have a regular weekly gig. But the way it was organized was this we would have a jam session for two hours. So like from five to seven was jammers. Open jam, anybody wants to come, come to the five spot and pick. And then from seven to 7.45, the incorrigible string band would play. And then from eight o'clock until, I think, I think we went, I wanna say till 10 could have been later, a couple hours, we would bring people up on stage and have an on stage, a kind of a continuation of the incorrigible string band set, but bring guests up. So let's say you're a banjo player and you showed up and you sat in the jam. I would cherry pick the jam session and say, hey, hey, when we get up there, we're going to play one little set and then you want to get up there and play with us fiddle players, dobro players, just whoever was there, I would ask people, you know, do you want to get up and, and you know, move this to an on-stage jam? And the difference being there is that the jam in the room, the five to seven jam session, was no PA, people sitting around in a circle and very little audience, just a few people, maybe somebody sitting at the bar or you know, there weren't a lot of people in there at that time, but by evening, by seven o'clock, people are starting to come in. You know, the usual uh, locals and people just coming in to eat and drink and hang out and watch a band. So it all moved up on stage and it was all done over the PA. So it, it went pretty well um, for a, I, I want to say we probably did this for maybe six months. And I was putting out flyers and you know advertising it in the uh, in the uh, with posters and in the southeastern bluegrass uh, newsletter and you know just putting it out and uh, it was just a a management decision that decided well we're not going to do this anymore and that was the end of it it was like the manager just for whatever reason decided he didn't want to do it anymore and that was the end of it so so be it and that one died. Um, had a similar one at that really uh, our band Pony Express was playing at this Mexican restaurant for uh, let's see we were there about three and a half to four years every Thursday night it was just a simple weekly gig three hour gig three sets every week well we'd get people the local pickers come 
and, you know, watch the show. And I don't know how many times people come up to me and say, hey, you ought to start a jam set. Why do, you know, do you ever have any jamming and, you know, this kind of thing? Well, I had enough to do with going there every week, setting up the PA, playing our three sets, tearing down the PA, loading the trailer. You know, it was way more than I, I didn't really want to do it. I didn't want to turn it into a jam session. But I finally said, okay, we'll do it. But let's do it before the show. We start at 7. So from 5 to 7. No, I no, I think we start at 8. Now I think about it. So from 6 to 8, we'll have a jam, but we're going to do the jam outside because we're in there trying to sound check and set up the PA and all that kind of stuff. Anybody that wants to come and jam for two hours outside, you know, in the patio area before um, is welcome to do that. And I encourage it. And... For, I don't know, maybe six months that took place, and sometimes there'd be two people out there picking. People just want an excuse to play. They're, I get it. I get it. I'm same way. I'm right now going through this picking withdrawal. Uh, so I get it, you know. people. Some people, and there's some really good players, too, that, but they don't play in a band, or they used to play in a band, or they may in the future be playing in a band, and they itching to get up there and, you know, pick a little bit. So sometimes uh, somebody would come to that jam and would get invited to get up and play. I would usually say it like this, uh, because we didn't need a, a sixth member. You know, we weren't looking for a new member of the band. So I always tried to word it very carefully. And we actually wrote into our sets in the first and second sets a blank spot that on the set list that I used week after week after week, it said guest. That's all it said, you know, like number seven, guest. And, you know, depending upon who was there, if somebody was sitting out in the audience and I knew they had their instrument with them or they had been to that little jam session, I'd say, hey, you want to get up in the first set? We're going to, we're going to do about four or five songs. We'll bring you up to do one or two songs. Uh, you know, what do you want? To, would you do that? And what do you want to play? And, you know, that kind of thing. So that became our thing there was to have that regular guest slot. And ultimately, we ended up doing it in all three sets. We would have a guest slot of usually one or two songs. And, you know, if I wanted to have the out that, depending upon how it went, I mean, if it went very well, we might want to keep them up there for the rest of the set. And if it didn't go well, we'd be like, hey, everybody give Frank a big hand, you know. And then you can shuffle him off stage and get that get that clown off stage. Because we had some people show up that, frankly, I'd never heard play. Uh, you know, they might have been out there in the jam session, and uh, I was inside busy, uh, you know, setting up and doing stuff. Anyway, that worked pretty good as a guest slot. It worked really good. And uh, we did have one or two instances where somebody just thought that what we were doing inside as a band and being paid to do, uh, they thought that was a jam. You know, I've had people just, we're setting up and had this dobro player one time. This old guy showed up with his dobro. He heard we were having, you know, that there was bluegrass there every Thursday night. And uh, he just came in. He got him a chair from one of the tables and set it up in there amongst the PA and, um, I'm like, who's this guy? <laughs> I don't even know who this guy is. And he was all setting up, ready to play. 
and, uh, you know, be in our band. <laughs> well, we did the first set with him, and then I, one of the guys knew him and had to, had to have a little talk with him, but we, we really weren't looking for a sixth member of the band. He was just ready to camp out from now to eternity. He, that guy would have come every week for eternity if we had just not said anything and just let him do it. But, you know, I, that wasn't what we were doing. I wanted to play our arrangements, and, you know, we were rehearsing, and we were trying to, trying to put on a show and to have somebody, you know, just come and sit in every week. It was, you know, I just didn't want to do it. So, anyway, I don't know if he got mad at me or what, but he never came back. Um, he was a really nice guy, by the way. We, we just weren't looking for a fifth member. Okay, enough about that. Ultimately, cold weather killed that one. Uh, you know, we were doing the two hours of jamming outside. It got cold and people quit coming, and we just never resurrected it again. And then you've heard me talk in the in the podcast primarily last year is that I started another regular jam session down here at a place at a pizza place in America it's called Pat's Place, and they had their regular band, bluegrass band, playing every Thursday night and had the same problem that I just described about people thinking it's a jam session when it's actually a band. And they just didn't know because of the casual nature of the way the band treated the gig, you know. I think I've talked about that before. And so sometimes people would come in and have the wrong impression and think, oh, this is just a jam, and pull them up a chair and get their case out. And, you know, and they didn't want that. They just wanted it to be their band, kind of like what I was talking about with Pony Express. So I thought, well, I've got the solution. We'll just pick a different night of the week and have a jam. I mean, an open jam. Anybody can come. And so started that thing. And uh, it went it went well. And we were doing it outside. It was an open jam. Anybody, anybody could come. And a lot of times the guys from Thursday nights would come and show up and play. And it gave an opportunity for some of the people to, you know, do some picking. And, of course, you know, it benefited the little pizza joint. You know, they sold a few beers and a few pizzas, and it was a lot of fun. And we shut it down because it was outdoors, shut it down in the fall when the weather got cold. And I had every intention of starting it back up in 2020 and we plan to get it rolling again beginning in April. And of course, the thumb screws and the vice began to tighten in March. And by April, it was like, forget it, boys. At least for now, there'll be no jam session. So that's how that one died. You can thank the lockdown for the end of the Pat's Place Jam. And of course, pretty much ended the it did end the band the regular thursday night band there too or i'm sorry i keep saying thursday it was tuesday the band played on tuesday it's been a year now i've forgotten uh, the band played regularly on tuesday and we did our jam on thursday anyway i've tried a lot of different things and i'm sure i'm not done i'll probably think up another crazy idea here pretty soon but i want to encourage all of you, anybody who's just sitting around doing like I am, you know, that podcast um, I've talked about before, the uh, 
uh, back porch bluegrass from New Zealand. Um, by the way, he gave me a nice little mention. I had sent him an email back about th three of his episodes ago. He, he, he read my email, email basically. Yeah, he didn't read it. He paraphrased it and uh, mentioned me on his podcast. And I've mentioned his podcast on this show before in those podcast shout outs. I kind of forgot where I was going with this. Um, I, I lost my train of thought completely. That's not unusual for me. Anyway, uh, yeah, I completely and totally forgot where I was going with that. So just forget about that. Um, anyway, I encourage you to start up a little jam, even if it's just call one person. Oh, I just remembered now what I was, where I was going with that. One of the ways I have scratched my bluegrass itch is by, by playing that guy's podcast because he's just spinning the tunes. He's playing bluegrass tunes every week. It's an hour long show and I put it on. I do this every week. I get my bass out and the show starts and I've learned the theme song quite well. I know, I know that theme song and then he starts playing songs and I attempt to play them all on the bass. And my goal is, first of all, figure out what key they're in. Second of all, figure out the chord progression. And then from that point on, and I want to do that as quickly as I can, see if I can play the arrangement and end with them and not make any mistakes. And that's hard to do. That's like, you know, let's say you're a, it doesn't matter what instrument, I'll use bass here. Let's say you're a really good bass player and somebody calls you up to fill in with them and you just jump up on stage. You don't know any of their tunes or any of their arrangements. What key, you don't know anything and you're just trying to hang on and not screw up. Now they may, you get lucky sometimes they'll play a tune that you know, but you don't know what key they're going to do it in. And you don't know, you know, the little extra stuff they do and the, the little way they end it and things like that. So you're trying to, you're, it's great training for really, really listening. And you can experience that thing by just put on that podcast, Back Porch Bluegrass, pick any episode, grab your instrument and see how well you do sitting in with everything that you hear. So that's one of the ways I've been scratching my bluegrass itch lately. And of course, playing along with jam tracks and other things like that. And, you know, having my own little secret picking sessions. And uh, we've got one coming up on Saturday. Not at my place. Somebody else is having one. So I'm going elsewhere on Saturday to do a little picking. But I encourage you, um, do some picking. Not just by yourself. You can't just play along with podcasts. That's not real life. It's not real life and we need real life. You know, I don't want to get too philosophical about it, but what's the point of living if you don't actually live? Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, well, I guess what I'm saying is living is more than just existing, <laughs> you know, breathing. I mean, think of a guy like, uh, uh, locked in solitary confinement for, you know, life in prison in solitary confinement. That ain't exactly living, you know what I'm saying? Speaking of which, there was a, a, a convict escaped from the county jail here about four days ago. Everyone was on high alert. 
and helicopters kept going over the property and they were hunting for this guy. And uh, I heard yesterday they, they caught him after about four days of camping out in the swamp or wherever he was. I don't know. Kind of a cool hand Luke type story, I guess. Anyway, I can understand why a guy might want to bust out of prison. And I, uh, you know, feel like I'm in a little bluegrass solitary confinement. So anyway, anything you can do, even if it's just get one person together and play a little music together, I think it'll be good for bluegrass as a whole. And let's all do everything we can to support, you know, the bands and that kind of thing, too. Um in what they are doing. Okay, last thing for this episode, besides thanking my patron supporters over at patreon.com slash Bradley Laird, I got a new uh, subscriber uh, just a couple of days ago. Appreciate that. And uh, that makes a big difference. Keeps me going and growing, as they say. Um, and also, those of you, I'll tell you, I gotta tell you, um, it's been slow, 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 slow. I guess everybody's just got other things on their mind right now, you know. Um, sales of instructional materials is uh, uh, pretty weak right now, so I encourage any of you who are interested in some of my instructional videos, books, uh, e-books, and courses to go to bradleylaird.com. Or you can go directly into the store at payhip.com slash Bradley Laird and browse around at my wide array of instructional material. I think you will find something there of interest that might help you uh, in your quest to play bluegrass music. And don't forget, there are some freebies too. And on this topic of jam sessions, which I've um, just about beat this dead horse or beat this horse to death, uh, uh, I encourage you, the final thing I'm going to say today is to pick up my free ebook. All you have to do is go to bradleylaird.com, scroll down the page, and you will see it there the Ten Jamandments Discussed. And it's, it's really a handbook for bluegrass jamming. And, but, it, it, you know, it's, it's from a, written for the participant, for you, the jammer. But in reading it, you will also get some ideas about how jams are organized. And, you know, it, it could help you, too, if you intend to start a little jam session. And uh, totally free of charge. So go over there and get it. And it also contains a 25% discount coupon code that is the back page. The final page in that PDF has that coupon code. So if you want to save a few bucks on one of my videos or ebooks or something, just download the 10 commandments discussed first and then use that code. And I appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. I'll give you a report on the little jam that I'm going to on Saturday. I'll tell you that next week. Y'all take care. And by the way, we're getting, I've been digging sweet potatoes. Man, I've been making sweet potato pie. I do love sweet potato pie. And I I dug up a slew of sweet potatoes and I'm curing them right now, but I've already made three sweet potato pies, which is, you know, I was getting kind of sick of all those pickles I made. 
I still got a ton of pickles. Um, but I even offered it as a bribe at my last jam session. I said, anybody comes gets a free jar of pickles. <laughs> and I, I, I made good on that too. Now I may be giving away sweet potatoes and sweet potato pie. Anyway, the garden is still producing and tons of pecans. Oh man, this year has been awesome for pecans and they're still coming down. I got pecans coming out my ears. So be making some of that pecan pie too. That's it. And by the way, if y'all want my sweet potato pie recipe, <laughs> just send me an email. Maybe I'll just post it on the show notes page for today. Anyway, thanks for listening. Get out there and pick. Talk to y'all in the next episode.